This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. One of the things that I feel people are missing out on, it's like, I'll give you an example of a typical situation that I'm involved in. A 38-year-old guy, decent-looking guy, that keeps just going through a harem of women. One after the next, after the next, after the next, after the next. We find someone that I think is very suitable to him. I set up a video Zoom uh, with the girl on Thursday night, which is how we're doing the introductory dates. At, le- at least that's how we've been doing it recently. And comes back with the same exact line. What do you think that line is? Not my look. Not my look. Which gets me very frustrated because I think people are getting missed. They're being thrown off of, well, what is your look? What does that mean? What's my look? They don't understand what love is. So I have no problems sharing the knowledge of someone else that's in my field. So I want to share something with you. Gila Mandelson is a writer in dating. She's actually a very good one. She's an individual who grew up totally secular. Here's what happened with her. She was a college girl, had the whole college party scene and the whole nine yards. She goes to Israel, and one of her friends, it was like one of these birthright trips, one of her friends just tugs her along into an Orthodox wedding, and she's by name, by, just by happenstance tells her, did you know, by the way, that the Chatan and Kala never touched? And she's not, you gotta be kidding. What? What prehistoric era do we live in? That began an odyssey for her, in which she then started the process of an, looking into Judaism, looking into the Chachma behind the idea of Shmirat Nigi'ah and all that. And then eventually she became Orthodox, and she's now counseling many people throughout the world. Many of the places that she speaks to are not even Jewish, college. But I wanna, I wanna take you through a narrative that she describes. After more than enough dating, it was clear. Avraham, this is, she's writing about herself. My husband, or today my husband, was going to propose to me. But first he told me, protocol requires that I have to meet the Rosh Hashivas, the Rosh Hashiva of my husband. Yes. If a person is a Ben Torah, or Ben Torah, he doesn't just get married to the first girl. He takes her, when he thinks he, he likes the girl, he takes her to his Rosh Hashiva or his mentor, and he wants to get Haskama on it. I remember when I was dating my wife, and I dated quite a few people before her, but now it looked very serious. I took her to Ravik de Milo on a Saturday night. I was wearing my white three-piece suit, Pierre Cardin, like John Travolta, in the 1980s, right? And Yaakov, he says, she looks good. Fine. It's in. Done. So, she says, he's taking me, this Gila Mallinson is writing, my, my soon-to-be fiancé is taking me to his Rosh Hashiva. And he leads me into the Rosh Hashiva's office. A very important rabbinic-looking figure sits behind the large desk. So you must be Gila, he says to her. And he welcomes her with a warm smile. And he makes her comfortable. He and Avram, which is my future fiancé, exchange a few words. And now Avram leaves. Smiling at me, the rabbi asks a few questions about where I am, where I'm from. And now he hits it with the magic question. So he said, Gila, what's your definition of love? I want to hear this. And Gila is feeling all good about herself, right? She's been answering the questions all good. So she says, I can take a shot at this question. Well, she says to the Rosh Hashiva, love is the feeling that you have when you feel you have that feeling. She's now seeing her, her balloons going down. She's just losing it. You know what it's like to be in front of someone and it's just not going for you? At that point, she says to herself, I came to the realization. Here I'm about to get married. And I think I'm in love. And I can't even define it. I have no idea what, what love is. 
And she says, love can't be a feeling. Why? Feelings come and feelings go. If we base it on physical attraction, that's just not going to do it. And here's where I'm leading to, ladies and gentlemen. Love is based on values. doesn't make a difference if she's an extrovert or he's an introvert. It doesn't make a difference if he's politically uh, Republican or Democratic. Although I had this issue recently. I set up a guy, I set up a girl from Washington Heights. I can't believe this happened. 33 years old, she's not getting any dates for nothing. Her friend calls me and begs me. She puts money into my bank account before I even ask for it. She says to me, I called his friends in Boston and I heard he voted for Trump. It's off. I said, you got to be kidding. You're going to cancel the shidduch for that? Let's keep politics out of this. Right? No, it's off. No, I was interested. Apparently she's like, a, she's like, I voted for Hillary Clinton. So I can't do this. Anyway, people can get crazy. But then she says to us here, you know what's important? Not... Not None of these things are important. What's important, what love is defined as, is he or she loyal? Is he or she patient? Is he or she responsible? Honest? Willing to work things out? Morally unshakable? That's what we should be looking for. The problem that I'm seeing on the ground is people don't care about a lot of this stuff. They're not going there. It's superficial. It's looks and it's all, and it's something like money, things like that. But there's no, there's no, people not digging deep. We became a very superficial society. It's all about the looks, and we crash it right away. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later. But how about if I share with you an amazing story? Rabbi Yahu Man, Chavrusa to Rav Chaim Kanievsky. And he tells an amazing story. A couple came to visit with Rav Chaim. Here's what happened. They're engaged to be married in three weeks. It's a very recent story. And it was determined that the Chatan we should never know from it, was diagnosed with cancer three weeks before the wedding. And he says to the Kala, I'm going to cancel the wedding. It's not fair that I should put you through that. The Kala, on the other hand, said, no, if you're going to have to be subjected to chemotherapy, I can't let you just do this alone. I'm going to marry you, Dafka, so I can give you the support that you need. You're a Bentorah. And now they went to Tugadolim, who refused to pask in the case, because they said, it's too big, it's too much of a hot potato. The case came to Rav Chaim. Rav Chaim looks at them and he hears both sides and he says, we're on with the wedding. Wedding goes on. Three weeks later, Rav Chaim, who never goes outside for anything, every second of his life is devoted to Torah learning, says to his Gabbai, go get the call, we're going to go to that wedding. We're going. So, they went to that wedding, Rav Chaim was looking for the chasa and he danced with him a little bit and then back in the car. When they got back in the car, his Chavuso was with him, asked him a question. Rabbi Yahuman says, Rabbi I want to ask you, how did you pask in your case? Based on what did you decide that the wedding should go forward? After all, you could have made a case in the opposite direction. The man was just diagnosed with terminal cancer, and he has an issue. Listen to Rabbi Chaim tells him. He says, it's easy. It's a medrash. And I want, you'll see where I'm going with this story. He said, there's a medrash that says that Alexander the Great was conquering one kingdom after the next. When he got to a certain kingdom, they knew he wanted the money, so they came out with all the silver and the gold. Alexander said to them, I'm not here for that. I'd like to see how you deal with cases of financial disagreements in your court system. So the king says to them, have a seat. There happens to be a case that I'm judging right now. The case was very interesting. A man bought a ruin, and in the ruin he discovered the treasure. He said, I don't deserve the treasure. I want to give the money back to the guy that I bought it from. On the other hand, the guy who sold it to him said, no. 
I sold you the ruin, whatever goes there. You deserve the treasure, keep it. And that's how they're fighting. So then the king said, said, do you, to one of them, have a son? Yes, I do. To the other, the little he said, do you have a, a daughter? Yes, I do. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to marry both of them together and they get to keep the treasure. Rav Chaim's case was very simple. You know why I determined and I was poskining that the wedding should go on? Because they were both mevater. They both were giving to each other. Then I saw that. I know it was a go. I knew that they were going to be fine. And eventually, he had his treatments and he had a complete refor shalema. That's what we want when we look for a, uh, a shidduch. We want someone who's mevater. We want someone who steps outside their, their circle of four amos. Rabbi Lau Dessler was one of the greatest minds of the last century. He wrote Mikhtav Milyahu, genius of a mind. I love his Torah, especially on the Parsha. It's a great book. He says, you are, your greatness is defined by the size of your eye, your ani. If your eye, your ani, is just you, you're a small character. If it's bigger because it includes other people, say your wife, your family, your associates, your business associates, your shul, your community, you become bigger. That's what we want to be looking for, ladies and gentlemen. We want a relationship that's based on not just the superficial stuff, because unfortunately we've been toxified by the cell phones and the iPads. And as a result, we became like the Goyim. That's how we behave. It gets me so frustrated when I deal with people and I see how, how superficial and vain our values have become. What happened to us? I don't know. But there's been a huge revolution in the last 30 or 40 years which explains why we have so many people that are single and we're seeing such an uptick of religious divorces. Why? Because it's a disposable society today. You hear it all the time in, in, in social events. I want to get divorced, I'll find another one. You think it's so simple? You think it's so easy? Don't go there when it comes to being divorced and having kids. It is hell. I'm telling you now. I'm dealing with a lot of divorced people. Not so simple at all. We have to go back and look to use the same paradigm that was used by our forefathers, which is, I'm looking for values. Just like Eliezer, Eved Avraham. What was he searching for? Yes, he needed a beautiful girl. Of course, that would come with the territory, whatever that may be. But he wanted chesed. The test, the, the litmus test would be chesed. Who's going to take care of me and give me, and give me mayim and give me water and give my camels water? So... That, that's the, the main focus that I want to say today is that we've got to try to ensure that our search includes more of depth. So here's some things that I want to just put out there. Common obstacles on the road to finding our soulmate. Number one, let go of the idea that you're going to find 100% of what you're looking for. It's not going to happen. You, what you do is create a top 10 needs list. Not wants list. Wants are superficial. He has an apartment for the winter in Miami Beach. That's a want. He's, uh, she's the prettiest girl with a size 2 skirt. That's a want. That's not a need. A need is kind, considerate, warm, affectionate, has a rebbe, is, uh, shares, is emotionally stable, is dependable. That's a need. And then all you need to do is get 6 out of 10 on your list and you have physical attraction, you're good to go. That's all you need to do. It's not that hard. I use this formula. I keep it stupid and simple, the kiss rule. And it almost never backfires. Number two, let go of some of the hours at work or whatever is keeping you so busy. I've had people tell me I don't take calls after 9 o'clock. I'm trying to set them up. What, are you crazy? You won't take a call at 9.30 for shidduch? That makes no sense. Three. <laughs> Let go of thinking that you're in this alone. You can get a mentor. You can get an advisor. You can talk to a rav. 
a Rebetzin. Don't let years go by, months go by, time go by, and you're not seeking help, advice, counsel. People like me are busy, I guess because there's a need for this, a very big need. And especially, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate, I'll tell you why. Because I get, I get to drive a lot of Shaduchim. And I'm happy to do so. Because I realize that without help, a lot of these things would crash. You know why they crash? Ka'ava gets in the way. He said this, she said that. I can't tell you the things that have happened. I had a case that almost ready to, to, to go to engagement. And now finally getting ready for the parents to meet. So the father of the boy makes a cursory phone call to the father of the girl. I can come every night by Tuesday night because I have a shear that night. The father of the girl spins it. that He can't come. He won't stop to see me on a Tuesday night. The whole thing's off. This is what goes on. The stupidity that goes on today. It's, it's tragic. So, but Baruch Hashem, those who listen, you can help. You can't help everyone, but you can help a lot. Thank God. I don't know. I can't explain it. For me, speaking personally, from the time Corona started till today, I have 32 engagements, which is amazing. I led a lot of them to the final culture. Those who listen and have their ears opened and apply the principles that, we, that I tell them, it goes. Those who have, and there's going to be many that I cannot help because they don't want to be helped. The question is, are you open to being helped? Whether it's me or Rav or Robertson, but you got to get counsel today. You're not in it alone. Number three, I'm sorry, uh, number five, let go of ingratitude. That's a fantastic one. To almost every single that I work with, I say to them, I want you to read the, the card, the, the gratitude card every day, which is the Tefillat Hoda'a. If you need it, just send me a, um, a phone call or WhatsApp. I'll help you out. And my number is 305-206-1916. Again, 305-206-1916. I'll get you that card. And I ask everyone to make a list of 50 things that they're grateful for and say it every day. This is what I do every day. It, it has an amazing effect on my day. When a person is we're, we're walking and living a life of gratitude, it has a tremendous effect because Hashem loves that. Hashem loves people that are grateful. And He does not like it at all when people are ungrateful. All you have to do is go back two parashiyas ago to Shlach Lecha and you'll see what was the consequence when someone is not grateful. We lost Eretz Yisrael. Very simple. You don't like it? I've been so good to you. And you all have complaints? If you think that's a problem, I'll show you what a problem is. And that night became the night of crying, as the Gemara tells us. Next. Let go of your need for something to happen immediately. It's got to happen to now. It's got to happen now. I'm going to tell you, this is an, a true story. A woman calls me up. She's come to my classes. She says to me, I got to get married on Lagba Omer. This is last year. I've even paid the caterer and it's paid in full. I said, you don't even have a chatan. What are you talking about? Unfortunately, she had to crash the whole event. You know what I'm saying? But, this was a movie. This was a movie, a movie like this. Movie yeah. Yeah, exactly. Did she get married? No. She got married by herself. It was called, um... For the halal? The wedding? In Japan, she can yeah, be married herself. Yeah, the wedding, 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 the Okay, let's keep going. And lastly, let go of thinking that it's a quick, smooth process. We'd like to hope so. And I'll give you my biggest bracha as a coin that it should be so. But know that there are bumps in the road, and know that, that that's very normal, and, and, and that's fine. So I want to just continue the process of sharing some common dating, five common dating myths. Myth number one, the smartest and prettiest women get married first. It's not true. It's not true. As much as, much as you think it's a myth, it's not the case. Right? Myth number two, if you date a long time, you must really know what you're doing. 
When someone comes to me and tells me they're in a relationship for a year or two years, I start to break out in a sweat. God, what do you need two years to find out? What do you need a year to find out? You're not asking the right questions. You don't know how to communicate effectively. One of the things that I do almost every day, at least two or three hours a day, is I'm teaching people how to communicate, which is get to the finish line quickly. Not only that, cut to the chase to determine if the person is right for you. If you know the questions to ask, and they're not that hard, again, I have a PDF on this, WhatsApp me or text me, I'll send you the PDF. The questions that can lead you directly to finding out if the person is right for you. I got a phone call from above of a Hasidic girl. You know, they only do Bishol. They don't go out on regular dates, they do Bishol. So she had two Bishols with a boy, meaning that they sit in the living room of someone's house, and they talk to each other, and one more, and they wrap it up. Right? So anyway, she calls me up, and she says to me, on paper he looks good, but I'm just not feeling it. So I said, did you ask him a lot of questions? Not so. So I prepped her. And we decided to really go through this. And I gave her all the questions to ask. On the Motsi Shabbos, she went out on a walk with him. She calls me on Sunday. Thank you so much. He's definitely not for me. I never want to see him again. This is when you have good communication. When you know what the questions to ask, you've determined if that person is compatible for you. There's no reason to waste time. It bugs me to hear when people are in relationships six, seven, eight months. That means you don't know what you're doing. Within five or six days, you should be able to ask the questions that you need in order to determine if the person is right for you. There's no reason to waste time. Number three, myth number three. If things don't click on the first date, we're probably not right for each other. Give it time. How do you know? Many people are nervous on the first date. They're not feeling well. They had a hard day at work. They had a hard day at school. Don't just crash it right away. Unless you feel that hashkafically, there's nothing to talk about. I want six kids, she wants 1.5 kids and a dog. Okay, I get it. You know what I'm saying? But when you see the hashkafa is so different, and I can see that there's no point in the second date. But oftentimes, give it two or three dates until you deter- determine if, if, it is, if it's not right for you. Just give me a second. Here are some more dating myths. Every person has one special someone. Wrong. There's one person that would be easiest for you to achieve and to get. But you can misuse your bichira. You can misuse your free choice. There was an old Dabach who came to Rakhaim's father, the stipler Gaon. And he says, Rebbe, Rebbe, where is the girl that was supposed to be my soulmate? He says, Yingila. Because you were Mr. You know, like a peacock. You thought you were it. She's long gone. She has four kids already. Reb Chaim's father had Ruch HaKodesh. You could see right through. So be careful with that one. Right. Next. When it's the right time, it'll happen. But it's conditional. That you act on it. If you don't act on it, and you decide that it's not for you, you're going to have a problem. Number three. I simply haven't met the right one. We heard that one before. How do you know? Maybe you have and you told her that she's not for you. How often they could be standing a meter away, five feet away. You don't give them a time of day. They could be right there, the person that would be most compatible for you. I told the story of a guy that went for a shop, for, for Shabbos meals to the same table two years in a row with a girl across the table. And they never thought of it until two years later, they ended up getting engaged. It's amazing. You never know. Let me just fix this for a second. It's holding this gift a little tricky.
Yeah. Yeah. Men disqualify women based on superficialities like looks. Hate to tell you this, but the women are doing it too. Everyone today is, is busy body with that whole idea. And so we have to be careful. Let me just close with a beautiful story that shows what we should be looking for in terms of quality. A couple got married in the springtime. And there was, there was the minhag of the Hassan side that the safta, the grandma, would always give a gift to the new kala that was coming into the family. And so she knocked on the door of the kala-to-be a week before the wedding of her grandson. And she presented her with a box. She opened up the box. It was a gorgeous diamond ring. Even nicer than what the grandson gave her. And she's, she was like, wow, wow. She was amazed by it. The only thing was, the, the ring was a little big. But she didn't want to say anything, so she put the ring on. Fine. On the night of the wedding, she put her wedding band in front of the ring. Dancing the night away. It was fantastic. Sheva Brachas comes, and it's in Netanya, which is a seacoast town. They went out for a walk. And it was in the house of the Khatan's mother. And when he came back to Hassan and Kala, the mother-in-law, or the, the, the mother of the Hassan looks at the Kala, and she says, she says to her, Judy, where's your ring? And she turns white as a ghost. She can't fathom where the ring may have gone. She looks and she says, maybe I left it in my apartment when I was washing for Nathil Sedaim the night before. Or maybe I dropped it on, on the sand, walking on the beach in Netanya. There's no chance. So they went downstairs and they looked around in the nearby vicinity of the, of, where, of the building, and then they came back to the apartment, and the mother-in-law, the genius that she was, she says to her, do you realize that that ring that my mother-in-law bought for you was $8,000? And then she runs upstairs to the, uh, to the uh, guest room, where her son and her daughter-in-law were staying, she fudges right through all of her private possessions, including her lingerie, embarrassed her to shame, came back, he's like, I can't believe you lost the ring! They don't think the girl feels bad? Now she's being made, made felt like she's two cents. She, there was like a cold floor in that whole room. After Shabbos, he went to the apartment, her husband, to see if she probably maybe left it there. She couldn't find it. He came back. And for the next month, there was very little conversation between the husband's mother and his wife. And he felt really bad. So the father-in-law, his father decided we're going to make a lunch and we're going to invite the, the new couple. Let's make a peace between ourselves, especially my wife, and the new couple. So they had a beautiful lunch, and it went well. And then at the very end, they had bought a gorgeous vase for the couple. And the husband gave it to his wife. He says, present it to our daughter-in-law. Listen to what she does. She's about to give her the, the present to put all the ba- stuff behind them. She says to her, here you go, Judy. No, on second thought, maybe it's everything she should carry it after, you know, what happened with the ring. That starts World War Three. That's it, she says. I'm done with this family. Never coming back again. I'm not. I'm never talking to you ever again. Things went from bad to disaster. September rolls around, and as we know, that's Yamim Narayim. It's Rosh Hashanah, and he has a kapata that he pulls out, which he wears on the holidays and for special events. He puts on his kapata. The husband, Zevi, puts on his kapata, and he goes, "Honey, you're such a great cook. I can barely even close the buttons." As he's attempting to close the buttons, he feels a lump over here. He sticks his finger in there, and out comes the ring. And now she's like vindicated. She says, wow, all this time, your family thought that I was the person, I was the shlamazel, I was the guilty party. The first phone call she made was to the mother-in-law. You see, I'm not the guilty party, it's your son. He lost the ring. And she felt so relieved. From that day on, she would give it to him whenever she could. 
Oh, Ze, she would say, Zevi, I want you to go make a bank deposit. Should I hire two Brinks security guards to go with you? Or if she was going to watch the kids, we'd say, you know what, Zevi, maybe I should come. I don't want you to lose the kids like you lost the ring. You know? So this is really going. He doesn't say a word. Fifteen years have gone by. Seven children, Baruch Hashem. Grandma of the Hassan is an Olam Emes by now. And you know how women are. They get bored of their jewelry. So she says, I want to go see what's going on with the new trends in jewelry. I'm going to go back to grandma's jeweler in Yushalayim. She went to one guy, and he was their jeweler. So she came and she says, you know, my, my, my husband's grandma shopped there. He says, yes, I knew her, Mrs. Newman. Sure. And she came, she bought a lot of stuff for me over the years. So she bought me this ring. I'm a little bored. I want to trade in. Tell me, how much is it worth? Remember, it was 8000 when she first got it. He looks at it with the mic, with, the, with his, you know, his thing. And then he looks at it and he says, this is a beautiful piece. It's probably at least 14,000 by now. It's appreciated a whole lot. And then he looks at her and he says to her, I want to tell you something. I didn't sell this piece. I know my merchandise. This is not something I sold. I would remember this piece. What do you mean? She comes only to you. She only came to you. I know, but I didn't sell her this piece. She went to someone else for this one. Go home, open up the kasefet, your, your, you know, your safety deposit box. Bring me back the GIA certificate. Let's check this out. So she goes home. She's like all nervous. Like, what's going on? She pulls it out. Everything looks like in order. And she's ready to just square away with this until she sees one document and she turns white as a ghost. Now she has to wait for her husband to come home to confront him. She says, when he comes home, she's serving him dinner. He goes, Evie, you know, the piece, the gorgeous diamond ring that grandma bought for me. I, today I got a little bored of it. I wanted to see what's going on. I want to trade up. Okay, sure, honey, whatever you want. So what happens? So I went to grandma's jeweler, and he said he didn't sell the piece. And I said, he said to me, go home and get me the certificate. And so I went home, and I got the certificate, for, and I opened up our safe and got the certificate. But remember that we got married before Shavuos? There's a problem. I saw the receipt for the ring. Why does it say September 19th? And then he, she says, I discovered it. I thought that I had lost the diamond. You're the diamond. You went and bought me a new ring so that I should make up with your mother. And for all those years that you weren't around, I now figured out that you probably took a second job to pay off the ring. That's what a diamond is. Like I started with tonight's conversation. Rav Khan, Mivater. These are the qualities we want. Thinking about the other person. That's what we want. Let's look beyond the superficiality and the vain things that we get lost in and focus on that. It's my wish to all of you that Hashem should bless us. We should bless all of you here. We should dance at all your weddings very soon. It should be Mahabi Amenu as we greet Mashiach Tzakena B'Ramein Amen. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.